Hello everyone, welcome to Word with Dave Clay. I have a friend who says she's an eternal optimist. I tease her. I said, one day should I outlive you. I'm going to go to the cemetery or wherever you <laughs> may be your remains. Maybe laid the rest as the euphemism goes. And I'm sure whether it's on the headstone or on the urn, the plaque on the urn, it's going to say something like this. Here lies an eternal optimist. Not much has changed. <laughs> She's a really great person. Uh, I like a kid with her. Uh, about her optimism, not because I don't necessarily appreciate it or see it of great value. It is. She's always got a positive angle on situations and circumstances of life. However, <laughs> as much as she would be the eternal optimist, if you'd ask her about how things were going, she'd always say, well, not much has changed. <laughs> now, give her credit. She hasn't dug a hole and jumped in it yet. <laughs> no pun intended, as far as the grave might be considered. But I'm not sure she's going to get any better results when it's all said and done. <laughs> in the end, it may all come down to just that reality. Not much has changed. I don't know if really there's any benefit to being a realist over an optimist over a pessimist except to say that it seems if you mix in the reality you've got a better chance at least of knowing when to be hopeful and maybe in some resolute sort of manner or way say to yourself uh, this isn't going to work no matter how much I would want it to or hope it would and I've got to make some changes. Psychology Today, August of 2022. <clears throat> Excuse me. Watching the Clock by R. Douglas Fields, Ph.D. Watching the clock, how you think about time, may influence how you think about your job. As a great resignation continues to unfold... More people than ever may be considering quitting their job. Who's most likely to actually follow through? New research reveals a surprising influencing factor. How the person thinks about time. Researchers surveyed full-time employees from a variety of industries to measure their temporal focus or dominant way of thinking about time. Six months later, they followed up to see if participants were contemplating quitting their job within the year. Six months after that, they returned once more to determine how many had followed through. Contrary to their hypothesis, there was no relationship between having a current temporal focus or tendency to live in the present and following through on intentions to leave a job. Similar participants who focused on the future were less likely to call it quits. 
Instead, those who tended to live in the past were most inclined to carry out intention to leave their organization. Individuals high on past temporal focus tend to attend more to negative past events and interpret situations more negatively, explains study author Vesa Peltakorpi, a professor at Japan's Hiroshima University. When thinking about leaving their organization, then, they may focus their attention on negative experiences which make them more likely to quit rather than stay. Those who focus on the present, by contrast, tend to have positive interpretations of their experiences as well as higher life satisfaction. Companies hoping to retain workers should focus on building an employee-friendly environment, he notes. By measuring employees' temporal focus and tailoring retention strategies accordingly could offer an additional boost. For past-focused employees, this might include following up in more strategic way, a more strategic way with those who had had a bad experience. While for future-focused workers, highlighting long-term growth opportunities could persuade them to stay put. Again, watching the clock, how you think about time may influence how you think about your job by R. Douglas Fields, Ph.D., August 2022, Psychology Today. Even, even as I was reading that to you, the thought went through my mind about my optimist friend. Maybe secretly, she's just not maybe secretly, she's just not an optimist. Maybe, really, she's more of a pessimist and her optimism is trying to convince herself that things are going to get better. And in that, there may be that essential element of fatalism, which kind of captures not only this notion of an end, <laughs> but not such a good end. The idea of quitting, <laughs> the idea of this great resignation, as it's kind of come to be called of late, COVID, post-COVID, the notion that maybe there is some realism that has to, in some definitive, undeniable way, at some point, speak to us all. Many people made the decision to just check out, to quit. Now, it would have been nice if we'd had some sort of base of knowledge to sort of take and then say, well, how many of those individuals that ended up resigning actually had contemplated resignation? <laughs> More so, how many of us would even have imagined such the thing as happened during COVID could have even happened ever? It's pretty jarring. It's pretty substantial in the terms of reality. <laughs> It causes you to contemplate or consider really how you're going to look at life and what the end really could be. 
So as much as, again, optimism plays into it, it also, I believe, has to, at least recognizably so, we have to acknowledge some sense of terminality, if I could call it that, the great resignation, uh, epitaphs on headstones, plaques on urn jars, where your ashes might be stored, kept on the shelf, mausoleums, whatever. The idea, though, is we have to see that within, I think, as time would be, dimensions of beginning and end. But focusing upon the end usually doesn't produce so much the good result, especially when it's exclusive. And in that, something has come along, or maybe several somethings have come along sequentially. In context, again, owed to time. Over the course of your life, that hasn't been very good. As with trauma, maybe you've just attended way too much to them or they've left such an impact, it's hard to forget them and maybe go a little further. Even if you're feeling really, really good about something, out of nowhere, seemingly, this memory could be triggered of, Oh, I was feeling this way before. Everything was kind of coming together. The world was normal. And in that trauma sort of way, bam, out of nowhere, my world was turned upside down or the world was turned upside down. My world in the world was turned upside down. And there was no escape, no escaping it. You don't see it coming. It happens far too quickly. And if it's happened, even if it's just a matter of bad fortune, excessively to you, more so to you than someone else comparatively, to someone else in a more normal sort of context, it's very difficult to dismiss the fact and to try to convince yourself in some optimistic way it's going to turn out better. But focusing upon optimism alone or exclusively, especially if it's to sort of compensate for that kind of thinking, couldn't be any better than that kind of thinking. Pessimism then would be driven by that kind of thinking. Not only is there going to be an end, now I'm all fixated on it or focused upon it way too much, it's always the context, or it becomes the context, always is the context. To everything that goes on in my life, why? Because I'm expecting now, anticipating now, apprehensive now, inclined to think that it's bound to come, just when is it? And I'm not going to be able to probably truly relax, depending again on how traumatizing, how significant, not only the events, but my reaction to them, how hypervigilant I've become, how worrisome I've become about it, apprehensive. I may not even be able to enjoy the current. More so, think of it in optimistic terms of a good future. Or life, it, life, in those kind of good future sort of terms. So if I'm making a pretty good presentation on the podcast today of the trap or the snare of bad things happening in life, it would all be predicated upon not only a sense of finality, terminality, the end, 
one. It's going to be a bad one. And with that, getting there is going to be fraught with all sorts of bad experiences. So what then is this lens of being realistic? or living in some dimension of balance between the two, we're going to call realism. There's good and there's bad. and You can flavor it a bit with hope, and, but you just can't get too far out there. And you certainly don't want to live in all sort of, I guess, fear and apprehension and pessimism and negativity and fatalism, lest you're going to find only that. Realism is kind of like objectivity. Maybe it is objectivity. You just have to see it for what it is. And make your peace with it. But to adopt an identity that's kind of predicate upon either of these two, or really, I guess I'm saying optimists might really be pessimists in disguise, then this idea of negativity, fatalism, pessimism, it's dangerous business because you'll only look for the worst. You may eventually end up expecting only the worst or in that as you would expect only the worst, getting the only the worst. And if you should get anything good, you're going to be dismissive of it. Failure identity is also incredibly poor or low self-esteem. And if you're a positive person, as with right balance, maybe with the negatives, but realistic. If you're a realistic person, you're not going to be able to hang out with for any indefinite period of time or at least sustainable period of time, either optimist or pessimist, because they're not going to be matching up to what you're seeing going on. And there's going to be this getting out of sync with them. <laughs> when good things happen and you're hanging around bad people, people who think about life in a bad way, bad people as with an identifier. Think of it in this sort of paradigm. That's what I mean. Then how are you going to match up with them? Or vice versa. If you're somebody who's a realist and you're hanging out with so-called good people or people who only see it in a good sort of way, <laughs> this eternal optimist sort of frame of reference, how likely can you stay kind of in step with them because when bad things happen there are times that you have to attend to them doesn't mean everything's going to be bad and certainly as with us good people bad people what I'm really trying to capture is you begin to adopt a label and self-label as much as others you're a good person or a bad person failure identity would be <laughs> certainly a bad person but too idealistic a view of someone is usually not good either and maybe either represents on their part as I've sort of identified in the podcast today or maybe on your part wanting somebody to be an optimist or have that kind of life even may end up being just a pessimist in disguise or a bad person who's pretending to be good in that hypocritical way and then one day you're going to discover in the end it didn't change. As optimistic as they appeared to be, it still ends with the same measure of good or bad. In essence, what we could do is we could fall in the trap of trying to manipulate time just to get it over with. 
if you expect failure, if you live failure, unless you're someone who's inclined to enjoy all the pain of it, which there are probably those individuals who have acquired that personality dimension through their experiences in life, rightly so, justifiably so, would not want to invalidate or take anything away from trauma. But as I've said in previous or prior podcasts, and we'll say again today, and probably will end up repeating innumerably so, maybe ad nauseum to you, my podcast listener, we're all going to have traumas in our life. There's going to be an end to everything in life. There's going to be, until we get to the ultimate end of our existence, existentialism existential threats. There's going to be all kinds of losses along the way, but we can't make them, as we call it in the business, a narcissistic wound. Such though that, such that they tend to accumulate and we then begin to take on this identity of failure and then we have to compensate with all that pretend stuff, hypocritical stuff, narcissistic dimension. As if trying to convince herself, somehow, it's all going to turn out good. Which doesn't mean it won't. It just means the good may be found in just seeing it for what it really is. Again, objectivity. Being a realist. Enjoy the moments that you're in. Even so, if you're going to be a time traveler and look back at things in the past, you can't live in the past, but certainly don't live in a past that's only focused upon, fixated upon all the bad things that have happened to you, which is what, again, psychologically occurs for many people when they've gone through repeated traumas, serial, and a series of repeated traumas over the course of their life with that level of impact or magnitude. But there's nothing wrong with looking back in your life or at your life in that past lens and seeing the good, just make sure it's a measure or has been in some ways measured in balance. There is good and there is bad. We have to see it for both sides, <laughs> from both sides, or see it for both sides, good and bad. As, again, that's probably not a good way to describe it. It's probably a bad way to describe it. It's hard to escape that label. We want to find reality. And it's, I'll use this, I'll call it this. It's the most adaptive, which would then give us the best hope of, of seeing life in right measure. I'm going to keep using good. <laughs> I can't, it's impossible for me not to. It'll be good. It'll be better. We'll find more happiness. Maybe satisfaction. The article tends to, or did move to satisfaction. And probably that is something that, or framed it in terms of satisfaction. Articles like this tend to. I'll do that. To be satisfied. Content rather than malcontent or discontent. There we go. But there's no benefit, adaptively speaking, in speeding up the clock just to get to an end that you've already forecast as a bad one. Or speeding up the clock to get to an end because you're always in anticipation of or apprehension of something bad coming along, even if you're in a good moment. Your life isn't full. And who's to say, in the end, 
Any of that would be satisfying if it's not reality-based. Any of that would be adaptive it's not, if it's not reality-based. And what is reality? It always has a material dimension. It does have your input into it, your interpretation, which is really in some ways what psychology is all about, but certainly today's podcast in that sort of way of looking at <laughs> content such as we talk about on Word. It's the effect of that, to understand it for what it is, make sense of it, put it within some context of who you are, but watch out to make sure you don't start to look at things in either such the optimistic or good way or such the fatalistic or bad way that everything becomes then measured by that kind of binary thought. It's useful, it's needful to think that way, but that's where, again, terms like adaptability, contentment, satisfaction versus maladaptive, discontent, dissatisfaction might be more useful. But, in, but again, when you get to the bottom line, they're really speaking about the same thing. <laughs> How we look at our life and what we choose to take from it. And then because of that choice, agency, autonomy what we're going to get. The article speaks to people who live in a present and future context when it comes to jobs are more likely to be satisfied or stay in those jobs, which kind of seems to me to be saying we're going to, again, all have these up and down sort of moments and times when things are going to be going better at certain times and maybe worse at other times based on what? Again, our best appraisal of what should or shouldn't be happening, which is really what we're also saying on today's podcast. That's our choice. But individuals who tend to be a bit more future-focused, who tend to live in the present more than the past, tend to stick with it longer. <laughs> They're maybe not as inclined to want to get it over with. I think, again, going back to COVID and what we've all been through, the Great Resignation is sort of like capturing this idea that all those individuals that maybe were much more likely to have gotten caught up in this sort of path of either eternal optimism or really we're just trying to in some sort of, well, we'll just keep working, things have got to get better, we'll keep working, things have got to get better sort of way we're forced to take a serious look at. Is it any better? <laughs> you may be an optimist or you may be a pessimist. But when the world stops turning, as it did during COVID, then it causes you to wonder, well, if this is the end, what do I have? <laughs> what good has it been? And hopefully you can readjust your paradigms, your worldviews, your worldview, your primary view, your view of yourself in the world, your identity, calibrate that a bit better to get a better outcome. Hopefully it'll be something along the lines of contentment, satisfaction, not only for yourself, but we do want to respectfully consider others. And should you be inclined to put others first, make sure it's not to the ne negligence of yourself. But sitting down and talking to somebody about all this can really be useful and helpful. Once more, psychology or psychological counseling 
should be about science, being objective, measuring whether a thesis that you hold, a paradigm, a worldview of yourself, others, more generally, the entirety of the experience. If it is really producing the best in the way of life, again, measured adaptively, measured quality, as well as quantity, or quantity as well as quality, not only for yourself, for others, talking to someone who is doing their best job to be objective, to provide you genuinely so value-free feedback, (laughs) mirror, value-free in the sense of it's not mine to value, it's yours to value, it's not mine to tell you what to do it's you, with it. It's yours to determine what to do with it. But I'm going to try to continue to point out, as you would talk with me or someone who does psychological counseling, what some of the possible consequences are. I'm going to ask you to allow me to help you test your theories. And should you come to the conclusion that you're a pessimist in disguise, optimist, I may say, well... Let's not forget that all this that we're doing here is to try to balance those two things out and find the reality so that you don't set yourself up for some great disappointment at some point in the future. But also that you don't live your whole life expecting something bad and you don't fall into the deepest of pits such pessimism, such negativity, such a wish or desire to get it all over with, such fatalism that you'd almost take matters into your own hands. <laughs> that you would want to make it end now, not have to wait until the later. But if you look at it that way, if there is an inevitability and it's the end, we don't want it to be all bad getting there. We don't want the quality of your life to be compromised. And in that, why would you end it sooner than you'd have to? Now, again, the article seems to suggest or tends to suggest that there's data when looked at in this sort of way that that the original research design by VESA, Peltacorpi, professor at Japan's Hiroshima University. How satisfied, what's the likelihood of an employee remaining with an employer? And it shouldn't be any surprise if a person looks at their life in a particular way, what's maybe more important than their job, which ties to their livelihood, which in a direct way, often, if not always, is tied to life itself, that they're going to see their job any differently. Except that they would have other jobs to go to, but if you're not a realist, you're going to fall in the same trap if that's your paradigm. If you're going to always look at it through that particular lens... Whether it's, again, pessimism, unabashedly, unadulterated, or pessimism sort of packaged in some sort of exterior of optimism, (laughs) a wolf in sheep's clothing, as the euphemism goes, 
it's not going to turn out any better because in the end, you're going to be just like my friend. Here lies an eternal optimist. Not much has changed. <laughs> but I guess again, that's better than here lies an eternal pessimist and for sure nothing changed. But I'd like to maybe change that, though it wouldn't go well on probably a tombstone or a headstone or again, an urn jar. Here lies a realist who maybe only got what they expected from life but did that in the best way, shape, or form to make life as good as it could be for all involved themselves and the world they share with others. And <laughs> maybe they came to see a psychological counselor along the way. And if not, then they were at least able to grasp a hold of the concept. You have to see life realistically, objectively, in order to figure out maybe not only what you want, but once you've determined what you want your life to be, then at least line your expectations up with your choice. Agency, independence, autonomy, individuality, highest of all human order. Everyone is an individual and gets to choose what they want from their life. But depending on the confluence of all the factors and variables at any one particular moment that define life or potentially could help us in our defining life, all those things that make up our realities, <laughs> socially, more physically in terms of environment, culturally, personality, biochemically, all of those things that most of which or at any one particular moment <laughs> influencing us. We have to figure out who we are and what we want and where we want to go with it. And once again, the highest order is to respect of any relationship but essential element of relationship an individual and their choice to determine that for themselves. And maybe in the end, all that really matters is that you're okay with it. If you decided this is what you want with your life and it satisfies or provides you some sense of satisfaction, contentment, don't contaminate the rest of the world with it because we may not all want to be that way. Respect our choice if we're inclined to not want to go that particular direction and particularly if it tends to be really not helpful to making life enjoyable for either others or maybe even yourself, then at least respect us enough not to put that on us, impose that on us. But if that's what you would want to do, then in the end, you would have the right to do that. I would hope no one would get to the point of wanting to quit life prematurely. I would hope no one would want to get to the point of taking their life prematurely, ending their life prematurely. But there's many ways to do that besides suicide. But I can assure you, in terms of that, we still see that as an irrational premise. And how do I know that? Because there's laws that says I can't let you do that. 
I have to, as a psychological counselor, report that to the proper authorities, presuming that nobody wants to kill themselves. But if you understand this notion that we're trying to kind of tap into today, not only in terms of job satisfaction, but life satisfaction, more importantly, most importantly, life satisfaction, job being a part of it, as with the article in Psychology Today, August of 2022, watching the clock, how you think about time may influence how you think about your job, R. Douglas Fields, Ph.D., you are still considered to be irrational and will be, have to be evaluated as to your sanity if you go around telling people you're going to kill yourself or kill somebody else. We've not gotten to that point of liberty or liberation to believe that an individual, particularly killing themselves, has a right to do that. Now, I'm not saying that is either wrong. It's legal. It's the law. It's ethics. I abide by that. Maybe one day we'll change our opinion on that. Maybe one day you will have that choice. But that's not my choice because it seems to suggest you may be living too much in your fatalism, in your past. It's not my choice because your identity seems to be too squarely centered upon failure and the inevitability that your life is not only going to end in failure, but getting there, it's all going to be failure. And should you even then agree with me that you shouldn't feel this way, you still may be a pessimist in disguise. But trying to put lipstick on the pig, as I used to say, or optimism can't cover it up any better than narcissism covers it up. We have to get to who you are and you have to get to the place of understanding how to negotiate your failures in life. Besides just quitting. <laughs> That's really what that notion of suicidality is. Or giving up. It's just quitting. But looking at it objectively... Filtering it through science? If you see it for what it is and you see yourself and your reactions to it for what they are, there's plenty of room for adjustment. And if there is any value that we ascribe to it or project upon it, it's not mine, it's not yours in a personal sort of way, but it may be ours in a way that life does not have to suck. Doesn't have to be horrible or terrible or awful. You can want it that way, and nobody can make it any different. You would have to be the one, but there are people out there that it could help you to negotiate that with yourself. And maybe along the way, let go of some things. Forgiveness is pretty powerful, whether it's applied to self or other people. But whether you believe in anything more than what really is, at least make what really is the best it can be for, again, yourself and others. That's really, I think, essentially the great mandate in what I do for a living, my profession. Helping people to make it the best for them and the people that they share their world with so that nobody hurts somebody else 
or harm somebody else, isn't that really even more basic than that and probably a priority before you even get to that consideration? Asking you, do you really want to end it all? Do you really think life is so horrible or terrible that there's no better way to do it? I would imagine most people have that feeling not only now and then, but again, it's going to come. It's, there's ups and downs, not only in their job, but their life. But not most people are going to act on that. Those individuals who tend to remain reality-based live better in the present or negotiate their present in a much healthier way, as well as see their future in at least some balanced terms. Not so much to the right, to the left, the good, the bad, the up, the down. That's all I mean by that. And probably are more likely you're going to find them continuing. Now to my friend's credit, if that day comes and it's still a ways off, then even if we put on her epitaph or put that epitaph on her headphone, headphone headstone, here lies an eternal optimist, not much has changed. Maybe that isn't so bad because at least there's some measure of reality that's kept her going. But staying in a bad situation just because you want to be an optimist, that isn't any better than thinking that everything's a bad situation and you want to check out. You have the power to not only change your life for the better, quality, quantity, but in that you have the power to influence others. Take advantage of that. <laughs> That's why we do the podcast. I do the podcast. To empower you. To take advantage of that. To see your influence. Your potential influence. To the good and the bad. Again, adaptive, maladaptive. Satisfied, dissatisfied, content, malcontent. Quality and quantity of life. There's nothing wrong with being adaptive. That's how we generally still measure health. Quality and quantity of life, the best way that we can do that without harming ourselves or others. So, hopefully that's been empowering. And hopefully the day won't come that somebody will think about putting that on your epitaph, or that epitaph on your headstone. Not headphones, but headstone. So in the meantime, I want to thank you for joining me today on Word with Dave Clay and would like to invite you back to our next podcast and would want to wish you as always the best of health as well as optimally, ideally, optimistically, but realistically good mental health. Thanks.